Today's text will be Galatians 3, 26 through 4, 7. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized in Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his own father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. Amen. Thank you. I'm a little biased, but that's amazing reading of the scriptures right there. Maybe the best ever. Yes, that's my wife. All right. Hey, one of the coolest experiences I've had is enjoying the privilege of sitting in on the courtroom proceedings the day my nieces and nephews were officially adopted into their families. So I'm talking about Jesse. I'm talking about Junie. I'm talking about Jenny. And I'm talking about Celine. There's some photos rolling around up there. Adoption day. Hardly a dry eye in the house. There was a smile on every face because of the magnitude of what was taking place. Kids with super challenging backgrounds were now being brought into new families. Not because the kids had it all together, but because my siblings and their spouses pursued them and wanted to help them and wanted to pour out their love on them. And adoption day was way more than just a kid getting a new last name. My brother-in-laws specifically were declaring their gift of fatherhood over them, a forever commitment of love, care, and supply for my nieces and nephews as one of their own for forever, regardless of what it would cost the father to make this a reality. And if you've ever experienced the process of adoption, you know there's a lot of sacrifice financially, emotionally, and physically. Now, there's some photos there on Adoption Day, but the only thing cooler than humans adopting other humans is that God Almighty would choose to adopt any of us. That's the only thing cooler. See, in the New Testament, God chose to use the concept of adoption to explain how he saved us. And as theologian J.I. Packer put it, adoption is the highest privilege, the highest privilege the gospel offers higher than even justification. Packer goes on to say, to be right with God, the judge, 
is a great thing. I mean, think about it, forgiven and declared righteous by faith alone, beautiful, right? But to be loved and cared for by God the Father is even greater, is even greater. And as Sinclair Ferguson put it, our sonship, or we could say our daughtership for the ladies in the house, okay? Our sonship to God is the goal of redemption. You see it in the text this morning. And the notion, Ferguson says, that we are children of God, his sons and his daughters, is the mainspring or the most powerful motivation of the Christian life. The title of my sermon this morning is Our Adoption, God's Greatest Gift This Christmas. So as we approach Galatians 4 this morning, maybe you didn't know the Christmas story was in the book of Galatians. Surprise, Paul loves Christmas too, okay? Paul's been laboring to warn the church at Galatia that was predominantly made up most likely of Gentile Christians. He's been warning them to watch out for false teachers who were urging everybody to adopt all the Old Testament Mosaic law in order to be justified or accepted by God. That is a Jesus plus gospel, right? Which is a false or distorted or different gospel than the one that had saved them. See, most of the Galatians have been saved out of wild, immoral lifestyles that went along with pagan idol worship in the temple. And what they had done at conversion was they gave up this worldly reliance. Maybe you guys are familiar with it. Maybe it's your story. A worldly reliance on money or sex or stuff or popularity or pleasure to rely fully on Christ to save you. The problem is, The gospel that the false teachers were were teaching was opposite of this. The true gospel was a Jesus-only gospel, or it's been coined many times like this, Jesus plus nothing, nothing on our own efforts, efforts. Jesus plus nothing equals everything, right? That's the glory of the gospel. But now the Galatian Christians were being tempted by another kind of reliance. And here's the thing that's crazy. This kind of reliance that I'm about to talk about was equally enslaving and damning, but it was a religious reliance. It may look like relying on morality or service to others or church attendance or Bible reading or whatever to save you. And the question becomes, as we get to this point in Galatians, what does a person need to do to both earn and keep right standing an ongoing intimate relationship with God with all of its privileges. What does a person need to do? The answer, Paul's answer, God's answer is this. Completely rely on the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says in Galatians, to rely on the works of the law brings a curse upon a person. But what he says in Galatians 2.16 is this. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but listen, through faith in who? Jesus Christ. Galatians 3.26, he goes on to say this, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Here's my first point. Adoption's radical identity shift. Adoption's radical 
identity shift. If I asked you this quick question, who are you? Who are you? What would you say? Maybe you say, I'm David Lyles. I'm Anna's husband. Maybe you say, I'm married. I'm single. Maybe you say, I'm an American or I'm a Republican. Maybe you say, I'm a doctor or a pastor. Maybe you give me your occupation. These things are all true if they apply to you, right? But they shouldn't be the most important thing about you. And if you're a Christian, these shouldn't be the realities and the titles that ultimately define you. I think many times, if we're honest, I know I am uh, honest all the time. I mean, I know this, I struggle with this. (laughs) This will go along with this part of the sermon. Um, Many times we put our identity in good things or bad things, but very few times we put our identity in the best thing. What do I mean by that? We put our ideas in bad things like titles or definitions over us that the medical field has put on us, like OCD, or bad things like I've been molested, or bad things like I've been divorced, or I'm not tall enough, or I'm not talented enough, or I'm not smart enough, or I don't have enough money, or I'm always sick, or I can't do my job right, right? And maybe like you, or like me, we play this over and over and over again in our head, the list of bad things. This identifies us. This is us. Or maybe we do the flip. Maybe we, throughout the day, think very highly of ourselves. We think we're like the most high thing in the world, right? And we think all the opposites. I've never been molested. I'm married after 50 years. I am tall enough. I am talented enough. I am smart enough. And gosh darn it, everybody likes me, you know? Maybe that's what we think. I always do right. That's equally placing our identity in the wrong place. And for those things and many more, we need to repent because it's not the best place to place our identity. Where's the best place? To find it in Jesus. In in verse 26 through 29, I believe Paul is telling us what ultimately defines us. His answer, just to take a summary of a few of those verses, He says, by faith, we are in Christ. We are baptized into Christ. We've put on Christ. We are all one in Christ. We belong to Christ. Because of faith in Christ, everything changes. Here's a few things that it changes. First, it changes our relationship to God the Father. Verse 26, if you're following with me in chapter 3, it says, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. See, Formerly, we were captive and imprisoned law-breaking sinners, right? Our spiritual dad, John 4 says, was Satan. But now at the point of putting our complete trust in Jesus, it says you are all now adopted sons. And I'll get to the who of what the all covers in just a minute, but for now, this is what I want you to know. It includes all the unexpected people that you can imagine, especially in the Jewish mind. All who are in Christ now get the exact same access to the Father. And they get the same privileges and rights that the closeness to the Father brings. See, in the ancient world, it was only the son who would inherit the Father's estate and get the family wealth and resources. But here, spiritual sonship is bestowed on everyone who trusts the heir of all things. You know who that is from Hebrews chapter 1? It's Jesus. 
Abraham's true offspring, Jesus, through whom all the promises of God come. So our relationship with the Father changes with faith in Jesus, but also our relationship with Jesus changes. It says, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now that's an interesting metaphor, isn't it? Reminds me of like getting dressed this morning. Like I put on this shirt this morning. Has, have you ever been talking to someone and they ask you, how well do you know that person? And you're like, well, I kind of know them vaguely. I don't, I don't really know them. Or you're like, maybe we're you know, co-workers, so we're like acquaintances, or you say, hey, we're really close, like so close because we're married to one another. But at salvation, a closer bond is created than you can even imagine. A closer bond than any other previous relationship you've had with another individual. At salvation, you are united to Christ. Think about that for a minute. Union with Christ spiritually. You are found in Jesus and Jesus is found in you when he comes to live within you. I'd say that's pretty close, right? And I think Paul is saying, when you've publicly identified with Jesus as your Lord and Savior by faith, and it's manifested and seen through your baptism, like physical baptism, you now have a closeness with the Son that's as close as the shirt that you put on this morning, right? Paul says you have put on Christ. And this is what uh, one commentator talked about. He said, these benefits are like multifaceted. So think about Jesus as a shirt, no disrespect to Jesus, but think about that closeness and think about some of these things this commentator mentioned. First, I rely on Jesus like I do this shirt, right? How so? It's my covering, right? What do I mean by that? Jesus covers my shame, and Jesus becomes my acceptability before God. I've been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. I've been redeemed. He is the great I am. When he looks at me, that's the father. He sees the nail scarred hands. Isn't that a beautiful thing? That have bought my liberty. I've been redeemed. It's like a shirt, right? When the father relates to me, he interacts in love with me based on the fact that I'm wearing his son's perfect righteousness and not my broken righteousness, right? Second, we see it in this, the shirt metaphor. When I live out a life that honors God, the only reason why I'm doing that is because I'm dressing up like Jesus because his spirit dwells in me to produce his characteristics. That's why I can look like Jesus is because Jesus is the answer to that problem and that dilemma, right? Third, what do we see? One step further, God's adoption plan didn't just involve you. In Christ, he's joining you to every other member of the family of God. Here's an oldie but goodie. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Joint heirs with Jesus as I travel this side. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Think about that. You're joined to Jesus by faith at salvation. And now anybody in this room, you're closer to them than your actual DNA family if the people in this room are believers in Christ. That's an amazing thought to have. 
this morning, right? The Bible teaches us now we are eternally united, not just to Christ the Lord, but to every believer as spiritual family, adopted brothers and sisters. Paul's language is, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So going back to the shirt metaphor that Paul likes to use over and over again, When a diverse group of people wear the same sports jersey because they had the same team like the 49ers or the Ravens or or Clemson Tigers, they are saying as they put on that jersey of that sports team, I'm choosing at this point in the day or at this sports game or later on in the week at work, I am choosing not to make anything else about me more important than this team, right? Right? And that's what we're saying about Jesus, all those who are part of the family of God. We're saying at all times, there is no greater reality or thing I want to identify myself with or allegiance that I want to have than my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Not my cultural differences with other people. He says in the text, there is neither Jew nor Greek, right? Not my class or economic differences, It's very sad that black and white people don't go to the same church together, right? We should grieve and lament that, right? He says, there is neither slave nor free. Not my gender differences. There is neither male nor female. In the ancient world, women were what? Were they high up? Were they equal with men? Where were they? They were so low on the totem pole, right? They didn't even get the actual inheritances. But this text is teaching, if you're in Christ, Jesus, Jesus he, he lifts up women, right? He says, you're equally sons and daughters. You actually get the benefits that the son, the heir gets. You get that benefit that the son usually gets. You are my daughter, right? See, Paul's point is not that those differences mentioned, Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, are bad or even inaccurate. His point is this, listen, listen. Only the gospel allows us to keep those distinctives that we were born with, without having the division that normally accompanies those distinctions. Do you understand what I'm saying? You don't have to anymore say, well, hey, that's not my color. I can't hang out with you, right? You don't have to anymore say, hey, that's not the way I was raised. I was raised differently. You don't have to say, hey, you don't look like me. You don't act like me. You're not my same age bracket. We don't have kids. You have kids. You don't have to say that anymore, right? Because the gospel frees you to not be divided, Because those things that are distinct about you or different about you, good or bad, is no longer the most important thing about you. So we don't have to split up in church. We don't have to have our holy huddles or our cliques with people who are like us because everybody shares the same most important commonality in Jesus. Does that make sense? In him, I'm an adopted child of God. And to the degree that I make being in Christ, being found in him, following him, putting him on like that t-shirt, him being my focused identity, to that degree, I will maintain oneness with every other Christian around the globe. Around the globe? Yes, and other cultures that aren't even like mine. You can't say because of my color or traditions or country of origin that I'm superior than you. Or because I, where I work or what I make or my gender or my rights or my weaknesses, I'm inferior than you. The gospel comes in and puts everybody at the same level before the manger and before the foot of the cross. We find our identity and oneness in there. Adoption frees me 
from looking down my nose at other Christians. Why? Because we're all equally clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Isn't that cool to think about? Adoption, spiritual adoption, also frees me from sinful self-pity and jealousy. I've been struggling with that one the last month. I mean, I'm serious. Sinful, proud, self-pity, they're better than me. You know, they can do more than me. They've got greater gifts than me. They've, they've got more than me. I'm, I'm a loser, right? But the gospel frees me. Why? Because I'm as much a beloved child of God as that person. And they're my sibling in Christ. And I love what God's doing in their life because he gets all the glory and the family gets encouragement and they get, they get love, right? All Christians belong to Christ by faith and therefore all Christians are Abraham's offsprings, heirs according to the promise. So here's my question. What are you relying on as the most important part of your identity today? Think about that. Is it producing division and distance in your life with other believers? How can we humbly repent of any of that division and sinfulness and trust Christ as the most important thing about us, his righteousness for us, his righteousness through us? Second point, adoption's rescue story of grace, chapter four, one through five. Adoption's rescue story of grace. See, Paul wanted to drive the ongoing point of unity home through an earthly illustration of the inheriting process of his day. In the Greco-Roman world, the owner of the house, the owner of the house's children and the owner of the servants lived under the same roof, okay? Functionally, they were the same until the owner's child came of age, which was usually at the age 14. Happy birthday, my oldest son, Titus. You're ready for the inheritance now, brother. Where, he's up in the sound booth. Yes, age 14. He just turned 14 a couple days ago. And there was guardians over that child, not guardians of the galaxy, Titus, but guardians of the house and the inheritance. And before then, the child had no control over the inheritance before age 14 cashing it in. He couldn't do that. He couldn't enjoy the benefits. It was like he didn't even have it. It was like he was no different from the slave in the house who didn't even get an inheritance until he was 14. And I think Paul's point here is that our spiritual coming of age doesn't happen in our doing all the right religious activities and being moral, but it happens the day we put our faith and trust in Jesus his perfect life for, his, for us, his righteousness on our behalf. So the idea in the letter is regardless of if you're a Jew or a Gentile, you can't boast in yourself. And you can't look at your past, however dark it is, and say, man, they're better than me. They're gonna get more inheritance than me. No, the question is for everybody. And a lot of the Jews weren't making the jump to Jesus. They were staying over in the Mosaic law and they weren't making the connect that they needed Jesus. Like he was gonna be their righteousness. And if you're outside of Jesus, regardless if you got religion, you don't have anything, right? Paul's point is that before you come to Christ by faith, Jew or Gentile, you were on common ground, okay? Did you know that if you were born, everybody who was born in this room shared the same backstory the same ultimate problem, the same bad news looming over you. Here's the bad news. You were a sinner doomed to hell and you needed to be saved by grace. 
What is grace? It's God's undeserved love. A love you cannot merit. He says you need to be saved by, because of this. Look at chapter four, verse three. You were enslaved, verse three. That means you weren't free. You weren't a child of God. You were slave, enslaved to sin and death. He says here you were a slave to the elementary or basic principles of the world. The idea is, is that because of your sin, you fell short of the glory of God. You don't love and honor God as you, sh- you should. You're trapped in an endless loop of anxiety, fear, and pride as you seek to live up to certain standards, either standards of your own making or standards that the world puts on you or standards that you see in the Bible. And you're constantly relating to God and others through your record of right or wrong, through your report card, right? It's an endless pursuit chasing after the wind and what you get for that is slavery, this whole life and damnation. That's what you get. But verse four in Galatians four, Merry Christmas says, but, but, I love all the buts in the Bible, all of them, right? Because right after you see a but, usually it's like God showed up. It was God's idea of redemption. Like he's not gonna leave you in your worthless, difficult situation, right? And when the fullness of time had come, that is the right moment in history when our sovereign God had prepared the world and the nations for the coming of his son and the spread of the gospel message, he sent forth his son. And don't read that really quick and and say, I've heard the Christmas story before. The baby in the manger was on a rescue mission for you. I'm talking about all of us, right? For you, for spiritual slaves, And that rescue mission was carried out by the divine son of God. You couldn't set yourself free. You can't do it now, right? So he came down and you thought an earthly adoption story was good. Like I showed those slides and y'all were like, oh, at the beginning and somebody cried. I know because somebody's really compassionate in here and they cried when they saw the slides. You thought that was neat? What about the story of adoption when God himself steps off his heavenly throne and comes to the spiritual slums of our existence, our spiritual poverty and darkness and into our rebellion as orphans and he comes to redeem us. Now that's, that's a better adoption story. But in order to rescue us, Paul's saying in Galatians 4, he had to become like us, right? Paul says, yet born of a woman, this specific woman was, Mary, did you know? Yes, it was. And the idea is Jesus became human, right? He took on human flesh. And as a human, he was born under the law. That is, he was responsible to it. He was responsible to obey it and fulfill it just like we were. We were having a a family devotion and my nephew, JJ, was with us a couple days ago. And we're reading the reading plan. I think it's Luke 2, right? We were reading something and uh, Jesus was 12 and he was at the temple and uh, his mom and dad lost him, you know, home alone, the first home alone. Yeah. And uh, they couldn't find him. The really first, first home alone. Okay. And they lost him. They're like, where is he? And he says, you should have known where I was. I was in my father's house. Right. And they were really upset. And then later in that text, it says that Jesus went down to Nazareth and submitted or obeyed, right? Even Jesus had to obey his parents, right? 
Even Jesus, I was asking uh, my nephew, hey, did Jesus ever get in trouble with his mom and dad after he read that text? And he was like, is that in the text we just read? And I was like, it is. Anyhow, it was. He even was submitting underneath his parents. Like Jesus knows what it's like to be under the law that says, honor your father and mother. And guess what? Jesus did it 100% of the time. And here's the difference. We both were born under the law. Jesus and all of us were born under the law. And here's the difference. Only Jesus could do what we couldn't do, right? Jesus obeyed perfectly. He aced the test, right? If he was pitch hitting for us in baseball, he knocked it out of the park, right? And here's the question, why did he do that? The text says in chapter four, verse five, he did it so he could redeem us, right? To set us free from our spiritual slavery, regardless of the cost. And the cost, the cost was great. Our enslavement to sin and death was so bad that the divine son of God had to die. Think about that cost. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree and the son of God was hanged on a tree out of love for you. Jesus chose to come and completely fulfill the law's demands. And if you're like me, sometimes Satan is just bashing me. I'm talking about Revelation 12 was right. Like he is the accuser of the brother and he's on me, like condemning me. But I have to remember that Christ kept the law perfectly in my place. He loved God. He loved man perfectly in my place. He fulfilled the law's demand on us by paying our debt for us through his blood. He was born to die so that we could spiritually live. Your mercy reigns from heaven like confetti at a wedding. This is a Christian song. It's really good too. Ren Collective. And I am celebrating in the downpour. You lift me when I'm sinking like the swell of mighty oceans. The power of redemption, it gives me wings to soar. My soul cries out, holy, holy. My heart is lost in your beauty. All hope is found in your mercy. You paid the price. Now I am finally free. But it's more than that. It's more than just being justified, although that's amazing, like forgiven and righteous in Jesus, a shirt that you can never take off. Smells good, doesn't it? Yes, it does. As Pastor Eric put it last week in our Trinitarian family relationship, the benefits and the glory of salvation don't just end at justification. Justification paves the way for our adoption. God frees us so we can be his. Think about that for a minute. Hey, if you're in the room and you've heard all this stuff before and you're like, yeah, forgiveness, that's great, or adoption, that's cool. Like God forgave you of your sins so that you could be his, that you could be his son or his daughter, that you could know him forever. And nothing's gonna move you out of that spot. 
Not your good deeds, not your bad deeds. Galatians 4, 5, my point, to redeem those under the law so that, so that, Galatians 4, 5, we might receive adoption as sons. See, God didn't just want pardoned slaves. He wanted beloved sons and daughters. He didn't just want pardoned slaves. He wanted heirs to lavishly bestow all spiritual blessings upon. I'm not talking about the great by and by in heaven. That's true. And that's something that we're gonna look forward to, the new heavens and the new earth for forever and all the beauty and the glory of that, renewed bodies, restored creation, absolutely. But I'm talking about right now, living in the understanding that you are a son or daughter of God Almighty and he is fathering you. See, Christ removed the curse we deserved so that we could have all the blessing Jesus deserved, right? All the blessing that Jesus deserved. Like, how does this work out? Yeah, Christ took all the bad so that you could get all the good. That's the hope of the gospel, right? And this is our rescue story of grace. Hey, I wanna know this morning, if you're in the room, is this your rescue story? Is this your story? It can be if it's not. And if it is, let's celebrate it. Let's live out of that. Rescue story of grace from slaves to justified sons and daughters. Final point, Adoptions, relational intimacy and prayer. Adoptions, relational intimacy and prayer. Chapter four, verse six through seven. So in Christ, it's not just that our legal status has changed. Like you think about those document papers for adoptions. You're like, you're now, you know, Junie Straley, right? Okay, that's one of my nephew's names. Like uh, official legal terminology. That's great. Legal terminology is great, right? but it's more than just getting the legal terminology right on paper. In salvation, in, docu- uh, in document, in salvation and in spiritual adoption, the reality changes not just our objective reality, those papers, adoption papers, right? It changes our subjective reality and relationship with God Almighty. Jesus comes down to redeem us, yes. He dies for our sins, yes. Then God raises his son from the dead, yes, and seats him in heaven in glory. And then the day that we believe the gospel, think about the day you believed, how many every years it was ago, or maybe it was last year. The day we believed, God sent his son's spirit to us to make us alive spiritually and to live in us. That's pretty amazing. You guys are not as excited about it as I am, I don't think, right now. But that's a mystery, and that is amazing. Jesus then, as he dwells within us, he empowers a new confidence in us as sons, right? As daughters, right? Jesus, this is crazy, calls through us by his spirit in prayer to the Father who loves us. You're like, how in the world did I start praying? Like, really praying, not religious praying, like, you know, casting up all these phrases and empty rituals like the Gentiles do or the non-believers do. But like, how did I start praying like connected to the Father? Because Jesus lives within you and he's praying through you. And as one pastor put it, God gives his children the very spirit of his son and grants us to feel the affections of belonging to the Father. Maybe you don't have those affections all the time but he has given them, he's made them possible. Verse six says in chapter four, and because you are sons, 
God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. See, as we pray, Jesus is confirming in real time. He's saying this as you pray, you belong. You belong to me, right? You're heard. You are loved. We aren't alone anymore. We aren't orphans anymore. We aren't outcasts anymore. So what do you do or what do we do instead of cry, Abba, Father? Maybe we don't do anything. Maybe we do all our, our calling out to other people. Maybe we don't even call out at all. We just lean on our own strength, our wisdom, our own righteousness. But the gospel is telling us we don't have to do that anymore. We don't have to figure it out on our own. Anybody got any difficulty they're going through right now in this Christmas season? Maybe it's your, like, your actual biological family, your DNA family, like you're having some difficulty. Maybe you just don't know what to get your wife for Christmas and it's tomorrow. I don't know what your deal is. But listen, this text tells us we don't have to figure it out on our own. We don't have to accomplish it on our own anymore because we did before. We don't have to defend ourselves anymore. You're like, people are always down on me or whatever. Christ is your righteousness. God is your defense. We don't have to provide for ourselves anymore. You're like, I don't even know how I'm going to make it to the next paycheck. I don't even know. Or my kid's sick or there's a surgery needed. You don't have to provide for yourselves anymore. You don't have to prove yourselves. You are sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ. Martin Luther was quoted as saying this, and this really encouraged me in a really down time in my life a couple months ago. Those times where you're like, it's so dark that you don't think you're ever gonna come out of it, that time, that type of time. And this is what Martin Luther said. He liked to uh, war with the devil, you know? It's pretty, it pretty awesome. And he said, away with you, devil! You keep on wanting to compel me to care for myself when God everywhere says in the scripture that I should just let him care for me. That's the hope of the gospel. Jesus' spirit cries through us, Abba, Father. You're like, why in the world does it say Abba, Father? Like if Abba in the Aramaic means Father, it's like Father, Father, like what's going on here? Well, that's very interesting. That word Abba in the Aramaic is a very intimate, personal way of referring to God. And you know who used it over and over again in the Gospels to talk to his father? You tell me, Jesus. And now he's saying, you've got that intimacy <laughs> with the father. Hey, use my words. How about that? Use the word that I talk to the father with. Use that because that's who you are now. You're his child now. You use that word. I used it. I coined it. Nobody else was using it. Then everybody else was like really distant and they didn't use that phrase. And now you pick up that word and I'm gonna pray it through you because that's the kind of intimacy and interaction and connection you have with God Almighty now. Paul is saying we have the same right and ability to call on the father that Jesus had. We now share the same intimacy with the father that Jesus shared. We don't stand off and say, I hope he'll listen to me. I'm praying like a slave. I'm doubting my access to God. I'm doubting that he's gonna be approachable to me. I'm doubting his desire to pour out his infinite love and resources and inheritance upon me. We're no longer slaves, we're sons. As Tim Keller put it, just as a young child simply assumes, I love this, like think about a little teeny kid, like a toddler. All right, 
before we get grown up and, and, and we, get, we struggle and we get messed up and all this stuff, think about a toddler in the purest sense of that innocence. Think about that. And Tim Keller says, a young child simply assumes that his parents love them and is always there for him. And like they stub their toe and they're like, dad. And dad swoops in. He wants to come rescue, right? He's going to listen. I got a question. Why in the world is X, Y, Z? And dad's going to be like, well, actually, I'll tell you why. You know, the toddler thinks that. He never doubts the security and openness of his daddy's strong arms. So Christians can have an overwhelming boldness and certainty that God loves them endlessly and always wants to respond to their cry. So if you're lonely this Christmas, and let's be honest, come on now, let's be honest. Let's not be fake and put on our mask and be a good Christian. Let's be honest. If you're lonely this Christmas, let's cry, Abba, Father. How about that? If someone has done you wrong in business, I just had a brother in Christ just tell me that somebody had cheated him out of a lot of money and it was a bad situation. Let's cry, Abba, Father. If your child is sick again for the hundredth time this year, let's cry out, Abba, Father, because you know what? We're not alone. He hears us and he loves us. If you're struggling with sin this Christmas, you're like, I can't get out of this cycle of anxiety and being everything for everybody else. Let's just cry out, Abba, Father, and say, God, could you help me to have so much identity in Jesus? Let, let me find it there that I don't have to prove myself to anyone else. And I can live out of love and gratitude because I'm your child. Adoption changes my identity, so it has to change my prayer life. <laughs> right? It changes your identity, so it has to change your prayer life. If you're like, I'm struggling. Well, guess what? Your identity and understanding it and growing deeper in it will change the frequency of your prayer life, the passion in your prayer life, the confidence in your prayer life, the connection you have in your prayer life, and the expectations you have as you pray, as we understand whose we are, as we understand whose we are. Divine adoption changes everything. We are no longer slaves to sin, to death. We're sons and daughters of God. So as we go into some application, I got a question. Is that you today? Are you a slave or have you become adopted, an adopted son and daughter by faith in Jesus Christ? That is God's greatest Christmas gift to you today. And I pray that if you've never repented and believed that you would and you'd receive that great gift and you would be set free from your sins and you would become a child of God. And if you're already a believer Let's be praying that God would help us to treasure that reality and that identity even more this Christmas season. Second question, what are you finding your identity in this Christmas? Is it your background, your color, your gender? Is it your secondary doctrinal pet or how your school, kids are schooled or your political party? Maybe it's how good you are or maybe it's even how messed up you are. None of these are finding our identity in Jesus, right? We are sons and daughters by faith. Next question, how might finding your identity in the things other than Christ be negatively affecting your relationship with other Christians this season, right? Think about this for a minute. This is kind of deep. Maybe my pride, and I'm talking about myself. I'm thinking about me, my failures. Maybe my pride and my perceived spirit, uh, superiority in things is making me unapproachable. Maybe it's making me arrogant or divisive with my spouse, because I'm boasting in myself 
and that puts me at odds with my wife. But what if we had the same boast and it was Jesus? You see how unity automatically happens? Or what about the flip? And I struggled with this this week. What if my proud self-pity over my perceived inferiority makes me jealous or bitter or unthankful? Maybe my self-pity pride and self-pity party prevents me from getting close to other Christians. But what if Christ was my righteousness? He, He is. He is. Finally, how is your prayer life this Christmas? Is it shallow, dry, non-existent? Does it lack passion or joy? Maybe we've forgotten that we are fathered and we are forgiven. We're gonna transition into the Lord's Supper. The table's here. I'm gonna invite Pastor Eric up. And if you've never been here for a Lord's Supper before, just a couple of things. This meal does not save you, but it points to the only one who can, Jesus Christ. This meal right here, juice and bread, okay? This meal reminds us symbolically of the blood of Jesus and his broken body on the cross. But this meal is not for the perfect. It's for the repentant, those who realize that their imperfection is not enough. Their perfection or their attempts at perfection are not enough, but his his was. Those that are willing to confess their sins before God and to others and empowered by him make a change of direction. This is who this, this mill is for. This mill is for Christians, people who've been saved by grace through faith alone and who are free from their sins and have been brought into the family of God. And if your ultimate identity this morning is Jesus, you're free to take this mill this morning and remember what he's done for you and celebrate that he's coming again. And when, we, when he comes again, we're gonna eat this meal with him anew in the kingdom of heaven. So if that's you this morning, please come eat and drink. Let's remember what Christ has done for us. Let's remember that he is our righteousness. Let's pause and celebrate the greatest Christmas present that we've ever gotten, that we're fathered and that doesn't change as our behavior fluctuates up and down. And that should inspire us to live for him. Let's ponder this text, Matthew 1, It said of Mary, she will bear a son. And the angel says, you shall call his name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. That's your identity this morning if you're in Christ. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna ask you to stand with me. The way we take here is we'll start on this side. We'll come down starting at the front and work our way to the back. And then you can take the elements and then walk back up the aisle and circle back around. Then we'll go to the next aisle, starting in the front, work our way back, next aisle, front to back, final aisle, front to back. You could take it whenever you're ready. You can pause and have some reflection. You can sing just whenever you're ready. You can take it. And if you're not a Christian today, why don't you repent and believe this good news of Christ's love for you, of forgiveness and adoption as children, and you can join the family and take it with us, okay? Let's pray together.